Welcome to Top Shelf Integrity, where we give you an inside look at how we, the Beam Centauri on-premise team, maintain our best-in-class standards in the alcohol industry, and what makes us the best team in the business, bar none. It's about service at the end of the day, and we're going to show you how we do our thing so you can level up yours. What does Top Shelf Leadership do differently? What does it mean to show up for your customers and your teammates? How do you balance innovation and honoring legacy? It's all here. So grab a glass, pull up a chair, and let's pour one out. Welcome, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about empowering our people and getting out of their way. I am Rachel Harris, and I am the Vice President of On-Premise at Beam Centauri. I've been with Beam Centauri for a little over 13 years um, in various positions, starting my career in the on-premise and really bridging between marketing and sales the entire time. So excited to, to have this conversation today. I am also drinking a Maker's Mark Old Fashioned today. Hey, John, what are you drinking? Hey, Rachel. Thank you. I am drinking a Toki, a Centauri Toki Highball. For this time of the year, as the weather's getting warmer, it's very nice. It's refreshing. It's easy to drink. I'm excited about the highball summer. And with that, I'm John Horn. I am the customer VP and looking after the hotel channel and our regional account business in addition to our, our drink solutions platform. I've been with Beam for 16 years, um, many different roles across brand marketing, field marketing, trade marketing state management, and now um, more specific role directly in the on-premise. Prior to that, it was a very circuitous route to get to this industry (laughs) that we both love. But yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation. This is a topic that I know that we're both very passionate about. I know the podcast probably will end up being six hours. Yeah, it could be. Very well (laughs) could be. A lot to talk about here for sure. Well, wonderful. Well, let's, yeah, let's definitely dive in. Um, I know, John, you and I have worked together for a really long time um, in all types of various capacities. Talk to me a little bit about your rise into a leadership role and how long you've been in a leadership role. Yeah, great question. I was trying to think back as I was preparing for this this discussion, and uh, it's hard for me to think back to a time where I wasn't leading something by, by purpose or by accident. Specifically in this industry, one of my first roles was uh, looking after the on-premise at a company called Allied Demac prior to its acquisition by Beam Centauri. Um, And on that, I had a very tight and small team um, that looked after the on-premise, building regional accounts and and doing a lot of things uh, around the country across the U.S. But once I found this business and um, the love and passion for it, I was very hungry, not that I was seeking specifically leadership opportunities, but I was hungry to try to make an impact on this business in as many ways or any way that was humanly possible. And as that happened, um, a lot of the roles came naturally. A lot of the roles just got progressively more responsibility, larger teams and uh, amazing opportunities that, you know, you never realize as you're as you're planning a career. Uh, How about yourself? Yeah, no. So I would say similar. I mean, from a corporate standpoint, you could say I've been in a leadership role for, you know, nine, 10 years, but I really feel like I've always had a leadership role. Um, You know, leadership is to me really more around wanting to be followed and taking the initiative and, 
and really driving, you know, whatever that initiative is. And, um, I really, you know, throughout my entire life, I feel like I've always been that person to kind of just take things, uh, take the bull by the horn, right. And, and, and run with it and, um, and build those relationships along the way. So I obviously started my career out, you know, as a individual contributor on a specific business, but that being said, I think you, you, you can be a leader at any particular role that you're in. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting when you get to these points of your career and you've had some more experience, I often look back when people ask me questions about leadership and you start to think back of, well, I was a point guard right, on my <laughs> basketball team as young as I can remember. And I kind of sought out that opportunity to, you know, lead by example and try to make the rest of the team better and to kind of be the point person or the captain of this sport or anything. And I think it's really interesting, at least for me, when I look back, it's, it's, I don't know if you're born with it or it's just something that you're attracted to, but you know, Working in a team setting and trying to make the best of the team is just something that's always been incredibly attractive and, and something that I continue to, to seek out. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's so funny. It's like the sports analogy, because now you got me thinking about that, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I look at it as right how you inspire others. Right. And, and you can do that in, in so many, so many different ways. And whether that is, you know, leading on a sports team, whether that's um, just even the, the different things that you can be involved in outside of, of your you know, career trajectory. Um, so yeah, I do think leaders can be naturally born. Yeah, I think so. So if we were going to sum up, um, how you would describe your leadership style or philosophy, what would you, what would you tell the fine folks? Yeah. Um, great question. I, you know, I definitely lead, uh, by example. Um, and I would say that my philosophy is really around controlling what you can control and influencing where you can influence. And, um, you know, with that kind of focus and angle, uh, I think it helps as a leader prioritize and provide direction for a team. And at the same time, empower the team in the same way to focus on, on where they can have the greatest impact. Um, and I, and I definitely feel that there are, uh, you know, things that as, as a, in a hierarchical, as a leader that, you know, you bring to the table, um, in supporting your team. And there are areas where your team needs to, to run with it. We're similar in that way. And I know we've worked together for a long time, so this is a really easy conversation to have, you know, to me, it, it, everything that you just said about leadership is hundred percent true. I think a good leader sets a clear vision doesn't set the parameters around that vision and how to get to the finish line, but they set a vision for where they want that function or department to go. And then they empower, as you mentioned, the people to get there. I think both of us have been pretty successful in our careers as leaders in building diverse teams. Um, and diversity means a lot of things to a lot of people. But I think one of the things that we've always done was we've always sought out the diversity of thought, where if we don't want 17, 20, 100, two robots on a team that are going to do things exactly the same way. Just tell me what to do and I'll go get it done for you. I think that there is something liberating and I think you end up with better teams and you're helping the careers of people further down um, their life cycle of careers when you empower them to make a mistake, to do things their way, to figure out the answer as they'll understand it and best learn it. 
because that's the way I've always been a learner. If I don't get in there and I do it and I make some mistakes and I figure out the way to do it a little bit more efficiently or effectively, or there's a, a better way to get it done. Um, I never truly learn from a textbook or from a video or from a book. Um, that, that to me, that's always been an important part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I a hundred percent agree with that as well. I mean, it's, you learn so much more by doing it yourself. And, and, and even now, as I reflect back on my career, you know, the, the leaders that I had before me and even the managers I had before me, um, if they gave me the space to make those mistakes, um, you know, it, it, it catapults you forward, right. In your learning journey. So, um, well, you touched on, uh, building, you know, diverse teams and, um, diversity of, of thought, I guess, what are some other important qualities to you and a good leader? I think in a good leader, um, that there's a level of consistency that you need. There's a level of clarity that you need. Um, you and I have worked together again for a long time. There's a level of candor. And, and honesty that you need to have with a team so that you're not spending energy or burning calories trying to think about the meaning of the words or the meaning of the task or the meaning of you know what was said briefly in a, in a big meeting and then not having the confidence to ask the question to follow it up. Um, I, I think you need people with entrepreneurial mindsets. I think, you know, in today's world, that's getting much easier than it's ever been because there is many more opportunities to become an entrepreneur um, in many different facets than when, you know, maybe I was coming up and um, it was specific for me, it was the restaurant business or it was starting an agency or, or, or things that I did in my past. Um, having a level of trust. And that goes along with the honesty and the candor, but building, I, I always tell new teams and, and I'm fortunate enough to have just built a new team. Um, thanks to our, our constant and consistent support of the on-premise. You start with the trust, right? I'm going to trust you from day one. Um, you can only lose that trust. Um, and it's really hard to lose the trust if you kind of follow this roadmap of why we put this team together, right? It's not a box that you can't break out of. It is a set of guidelines and guardrails to try to keep everything into a, a consistent format and philosophy. And, and I think that trust is, is something that you, probably the hardest thing that you can do with any team, new or old. But once you have it and once you establish it, you just the growth is exponential. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every relationship is really rooted in trust. And I think as, you know, as a leader, you, you, you start with it, but you also gain it and you gain it through being authentic. Right. Um, and authentic can somewhat be an overused word at times. <laughs> um, but what I mean by that is they, the team wants to know like the real person, the candor that you talk about, who they are, who they are at work, who they are at home and good leaders, they share that story, right? And use that in a way that builds that relationship that is rooted in trust. 100% agree. I think just getting back to what we were talking about for the kind of the overall vision, if you can set that successfully early, it truly feels like a team. If you have a team, and I guess there's many sports examples, and I'll try not to use them because I know in the last podcast, I think I used quite a few. Um, everybody is making everybody else better intentionally or unintentionally so when when you can find a team like yourself that is you know to a to a great degree selfless 
and giving and wants for the greater good more than the personal good, if you can find that right group of people or more of those people than any other type of person, I think it's it's a huge enabler of of success, regardless of the industry, regardless of the department, regardless of anything you're trying to get done. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's good leaders build community, right? Like we're we're all human and we all have this innate desire to be part of something and to be included and, and in something bigger. And I mean, it's, it's why, it's why leaders talk so much about employee engagement. And we, we just, we just had these discussions around employee engagement in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, building that community drives engagement. It drives productivity because we, we want to know that what we do has significance. Um, and we want to, you know, we want to be a part of, of a community. Yeah. And you just mentioned something critically important, which is all teams are relationships, right? And and if there's one thing you learn in any relationship with your partner in life is you want to have some freedom, but you also want to make sure 100% that there is a net, that there is something that they can fall back on where there's air cover and support and the the confidence to go out there and try to do the right thing and make a mistake as we said before, but also to know that the support system, um, and this is something you're incredibly good at and, and, you know, have really changed the way we do on premise here at beam is to have that, that support system around you to be a little bit fearless and then say, okay, that wasn't the right way to do it. Um, I learned that if I didn't do it that way, I would have probably kept making a lot of little mistakes, just skirting around the edges of what I was trying to do. Um, that is a critically important uh, component, um, in my opinion, of what what makes a great team. Yeah, no, I yeah, thank you, thank you for that too. And yeah, absolutely. I think there's um, I kind of go back to that trust factor piece of it, right? Um, there's this there's a part of being a leader that you also have to show some vulnerability, right? And that's what also that's what helps create that safety net. Because again, we're all human. We all make mistakes. And we just talked about how doing it ourselves and learning from your mistakes is, is the, really the, the biggest piece in, in growth. And, um, and having a leader that shows some of that vulnerability creates that safety net and allows the team to also um, take some calculated risks and know they have a safe place to fall. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. I, I can remember back... Um before I was a leader and I was an individual contributor on a bunch of teams, I was always looking for the answer, right? I, you know, you're the boss, right? And in the, the time frame that I grew up in the industries that I came up in, it was a little bit more loose, um, in the hospitality business. But when I had a boss, I thought this is the person with all the answers. If I need an answer, I go to this person, they get me to the finish line faster. I just go and execute. And I think, um, the development of, of, uh, personal leadership and what you find, I used to get as frustrated as anybody when I asked my, my leader, my superior, my boss, whoever it was at the time, a question, and they would answer it with a question. Well, what would you do in this situation? How would you handle it? What do you think is the right move? And I used to just give me the answer. I'm busy. I've got 15 <laughs> things on my plate. Um, I want to move. I just want to move. And that's what you're there for. You're the boss. You get paid the big bucks. Give me the answer. And I think what, what I've learned, I know you've learned the same thing is the more questions you ask of your team, the better everybody's going to get. And, and if you're asking more than you're telling, that's another sign and something that I keep myself honest about 
um, in every meeting and in every interaction, if I'm asking more than I am providing the answer or what I think is the answer to me, that to your point, just reinforces and builds a better foundation around that, that trust that, that exists within a team. Yes, absolutely. And I would build and say that as being a leader, it's also being comfortable that you're not the smartest person in the room, right? That asking the questions of your team is not only developing them, creating that trust, it's a way of coaching. Um, it's also a way of extracting information from people who are closest to, you know, whatever, whatever it is you're trying to solve. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, that's, that's something that I constantly remind myself as well. It's, it's pretty easy actually to say I'm not the smartest person in the room. Um, but to remind myself that actually it's a really great thing that I'm not the smartest person in the room. And, and that is, and I embrace that as a leader and, and again, that, that goes kind of back to my philosophy too. Yeah. It, it just, it's such a powerful vulnerability is such a powerful tool in leadership. Um, surprisingly for a lot of people that, that, traditionally think of one one route or one clean path to leadership if you don't know sometimes the person that is on your team has the answer it just needs to be teased out sometimes there isn't an answer but two brains are always better than one and having that discussion and as many subject matter experts or people or just random ears and mouths that you can find to come into the conversation to provide their perspective, you sometimes get an even better answer, a newer answer, a new, more innovative answer. The, the dreaded, this is the way we do it, or this is the way I do it, or this is the way I've always done it, so you should do it like this. Those kind of team killers or culture killers, um, which is what's exciting about when, when, you, when you get leadership more right than wrong. Yeah. No, absolutely. John, when do you um, know when it's time to provide direction versus um, kind of coaching of the team? That's a great, absolutely great question. Um, it really, I mean, my philosophy is let the conversation happen and react to the conversation that's happening. So in certain situations, you have a team conversation and there's great, it, it, it's best to shut up. It's best to not say a word because you might start to lead. Even if you're a great leader um, or a good leader and you think you're building that empowerment and that trust and that, that level of candor and communication, there's always people that are hardwired. Ooh, my boss, said, Rachel said this, or John said this. Let me take it that way. I think that's what they want to see. I think that's what they want the answer to be. Um, so there's some conversations where being quiet is the best thing in the entire world. But to answer your question specifically, there's some times when the challenge or the, the opportunity is, is too great or it's brand new. I mean, we, we've dealt with in the past 13, 14, now going on 15 months was unprecedented in the on-premise. We tackled it, and there's great stories that are going to be all throughout these podcasts about how we tackled an incredibly unprecedented time in the on-premise. But sometimes when we're bouncing back from that, um, there isn't a clear answer. So there's some times where, uh, again, instead of the tell or my opinion or what I think is the right answer, which sometimes has its place, um, rare, but, but, but sometimes, 
I start to lead the conversation down a direction that I think it needs to go where it should go, or at the very least spark some thought and conversation and feedback to give people the confidence to speak up um, so that it starts to build that dialogue and gets us into a good place. Yeah. Yes. You bring up speaking up. I mean, so important, right? To create the right environment so that the team and those around you feel comfortable voicing their opinions, um, bringing those ideas to the table. And it really ties back to a lot of the things we've already talked about um, with creating that trust and that vulnerability and and so forth. Um, When I think about um, leadership too, there's, there's an energy level that comes with it as well. And, and good leaders drive excitement, right? They drive that motivation and that energy and, um, and the team kind of feeds off of that. And I know I personally, um, you know, thrive off of the energy of other leaders around our organization as well. Yeah. There's no better feeling. There's a lot of great feelings of being a leader, but there's almost no better feeling than having your team be so excited about the work that they're doing, about trying to achieve the vision and the path that you've built together. Um, and they're actively, there's two, there's always two things. Fill out this report. I need to know what you're doing. Right? <laughs> Nobody this, wants to do that. Fill out this success story, right? Which always kind of has that, oh, there's a dark cloud hanging over. I got to get this done. Okay, it's Sunday night. It's due Monday. Let me get this done. Versus what I think we have way more of than we have the other example I just provided, which is people that are so excited, genuinely excited about what they're doing because they're doing it for a great organization. They're doing it for good leaders. They're doing it as they would approach the, the efforts that were, that were kind of helping shape and set forth for them and just getting that feedback, getting those Friday afternoon calls. I just wanted a call to tell you, and I had two of these this Friday was, you know, it's late on a Friday and people sometimes want to shut down and do everything. But when you build a great team that has that energy, they call up and say, I know it's late, but I got to tell you what I got done this week. And that just gives you such an energy and gives you such a passion and just makes it such a better weekend, right? And totally. a better work relationship. Yeah, totally. This, this past year has been a, a crazy year, right? So I, I feel like we can't talk about leadership without talking a little bit about how we get through COVID and the pandemic in this past year and, and, and bridging off of the excitement, um, you know, c- keeping excitement levels up, keeping motivation up, um, you know, over the last year has been tough, right? Um, and with, with everything else going on. And, um, I'm, I've been so proud of our teams over the last year and just how they've been able to, uh, pivot time, energy, excitement, be part of the solutions kind of throughout, you know, all of our programming throughout COVID, um, and, and truly in a, in an unprecedented time, keep their energy up. Um, and, and, and from our leadership team here at Beam Centauri, um, keeping that energy up and, and that motivation up has just been truly outstanding. Yeah. I mean, and you, as humble as you are, have to take a great deal of the credit for, for that energy and for that passion in a time where it was easy to walk away because you had a very tough job and I'm going to say a lot of nice things. So don't blush. <laughs> um, you had to sell this up. Right. So we have a great leadership team at Beam Suntory. And for the first time in a really long time, ones that we know 100% are committed to the on-premise, want to build brands, not just sell cases to accounts. 
Um, but uh, it was a very easy thing. And a lot of competitors and a lot of industries, uh, when faced with the challenge of COVID said, let's put this on pause because we're not seeing the output from it. Let's go and fish where all of the fish have now moved, um, get a bigger net and go figure it out. You did, um, such an amazing thing where you had to go and sell to the leadership. Now was the time to go in harder in the on-premise to find out what the needs of these accounts that are struggling, these bartenders that are struggling. How do we, this community that we've spent so many years trying to foster in their toughest time, is this really a good time to walk away from them? And once you got that buy-in, you turned it to the field and you, you, the communication was unbelievable. The support was unbelievable. The accounts, um, you know, living in New York is one of the hardest hit early markets of COVID. The fact that the 14 people out of the 20 on the team that were touching the on-premise were still there the day after the shutdown, um, that they never left, that they were in front of accounts, even though only 20% of them were open, they were still communicating with the other 80% to figure out, can we help? How do we help? How can we support you? Not Even if I can't support your business, do you need a meal? Right. For you and your family, because you don't have those types of, of things is what kept that level of excitement, built that level of excitement, kept that level of excitement and now is paying huge dividends for the level of talent that we retained and didn't go to another supplier because we turned off the on premise longer than their paychecks would allow. Um, it built such a strong foundation in the community. Because Beam Centauri was there in the best of times, we were there in the absolute worst of times, and we want to help you rebuild now that the world is starting to get to some semblance of normal. So I know that was a very long-winded answer and commentary, but you have to take credit where credit is due. And I don't think without you as a catalyst in this organization during this tough time in the past year, um, none of that stuff would have gotten done. I am blushing. You guys can't see it, but I am. Um, but thanks. Thanks, John. Like I, I wouldn't have been able to do it without the team. And, and I know our team is energized. I'm so proud of the on-premise culture here at Beam Centauri and, and how everything has evolved, how close the team is, how connected they are across the entire U S. And, um, while I think we could have eventually gotten there, I think the last year through, through COVID just really fast forwarded that culture and that connection. Um, I, I will say, right. COVID hit and, and being the VP of on-premise um, when all of a sudden your selling channel completely shuts down was not a very envious job. I, I'm just going to guess. Um, I felt like it wasn't a very envious job, um, but I think there was also some admission of where do we go from here? And and also going back to, I don't know, and I'm not the smartest person in the room and I'm not the person who's closest to those that we serve on the street and being able to empower the team and lean into where they're passionate, um, setting up a, a, a framework that gave us, uh, gave us a framework to work off of and asking you know, the 130 individuals across the U.S., where they would volunteer their time, where they felt most passionate to to really help us design the path forward um, was was just so important. Um, 
and, and, and gave them a piece of that puzzle. We talked about already about wanting to be a part of something. And I really feel like in, in handling COVID, we drove significance more than anything else where the team knew that the work was so meaningful and they knew that they each personally made a difference in all of it. And yeah. And, and for that, I mean, so proud, so proud of, of, of everything that, that we had accomplished. Yeah. And I, th- I think, you know, we've talked about a lot of topics in the first half hour, 30 minutes, uh, 35 minutes of this and everything you just said, we can hearken back to a comment that we have made at some point during this, this early part of the, the, the podcast, which is, you know, the empowerment of teams. It's a really tough time. I'm giving you the confidence that you're not going to lose your job. It's going to look a little bit different. We don't know how long that's going to take, but I'm going to empower you to do something different if you want to, to do more of the same. I need your ideas. I need everything we talked about, about asking questions, empowerment, trust, um, vulnerability, right? Not being the smartest person in the room. All of those things were exhibited by yourself as, as all of our leader and, and then your leadership team. And then the trickle down effect was just something that was, it was amazing to see. And it provided, I think the, the next generation of an opportunity in the on-premise for us and, and really is a catalyst that, that we're going to be able to look back on one day and say, we took the worst of times and made it into something that we were able to, to change the way we do business. Yeah, no. Absolutely. Um, exciting for the year ahead, right? And that'll bring <laughs> even more excitement to the table. Um, well, John, I know um, you also had a big role change, right, last year. And again, Beam Centauri is, is really doubling down in, in the on-premise and, you know, stood up a regional account team. So tell me a little bit about building, starting to build that team from scratch now that the team's in place. Um, so exciting. Really, really exciting. And again, a testament, you know, while, while, while many others were saying, we'll get back to the on-premise, we'll deal with that when we deal with it. We at Beam Centauri said, you know what, now's a great time to rejigger some of the departments underneath the on-premise umbrella and see if we can get more juice out of the orange, right? See if we, with a little bit more focus, with attention, with a dedicated team. So I was incredibly humbled and, and excited, you know, more excited than anything else to be able to build a brand new team from scratch with a little bit of breathing room around COVID. And I couldn't be more excited about the output of that. I mean, you know, the team, it's an incredibly talented team that I would put up against any other on-premise team that's going after similar parts of, of the business. I think, um, you know, hotels, which were hardest hit and are going to be a little bit slower and have been slower to be, to be on the comeback trail. I think having a dedicated three person team, that's just looking after large, small opportunistic accounts, the regionalization of, of what the hotel channel has become, um, outside of a few States where it's a little bit more open than others. Uh, same could be said for regional accounts. You know, I have a passion for this business and this is the second or third time in my career where I've had the opportunity to get after these accounts that are on the cusp of becoming something so special. Some, some of them know it and, and want to be levered like a national account. And a lot of them don't, a lot of them just want to get better and they can use our brands and some of our support to make that come to fruition and build the scale that they want to build. And, and I think the thing I'm, I'm probably most excited about is not only has the team hit the ground running 
and I was able to build a dream team. Um, just yes, you are. Everybody feeds across. Everybody I speak to says, how the heck did you get all of those people on one team? And I just said, we just put out the job description. You know, people were excited and people were ready for their careers. And I had relationships with a lot of maybe half of the team, probably a little bit less than half, actually. But this is some of the best on-premise talent that that existed in the organization. And I'm most excited because not only are they doing incredible work early in the COVID recovery and opening up, which is getting better by the day. Um, they've set us up for such a, an amazing future when the world does fully open back up. Um, so I was, you know, humbled, but, but there's very few opportunities you get in a lifetime that you're taking a, a horrible situation and you're b- building something from scratch, which is something in my entrepreneurial days, which always kind of gave me the, Let's get up. Let's get up a little bit earlier today. I got stuff to do. Um, and building a team from scratch to get after this business that we know is going to come back stronger than ever and be a real catalyst of growth for a long, long time uh, in the on-premise channel is, you know, I, I feel lucky and a, a little bit blessed that, that, you know, I had this opportunity. Yeah. I mean, building a team from scratch, usually they say you're lucky if it happens once in your career. Right. And I know, I guess we're, we're super lucky because we've, we've both had the opportunity to do it a couple of times. Um, and I, I want to go back to for a second, because if trust is, is really the key to building an excellent team and you're standing up your team all at once, how, how are you building trust with each of them individually, as well as building out that culture of your team? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, for me, it's all about consistency. You know, anybody that knows me for longer than a week knows that this is John, right? <laughs> this is John Ward. Love him, hate him, you know, whatever. Um, but to me, it started with the consistency. It always starts because when you're building a relationship, you don't know what you're getting into. And, you know, 70 ish percent, 75 percent of the team I hadn't worked with before. I didn't have a a relationship with to go back and lean on to say, hey, it's me. Let's come and work together again. Um, So for me, it was being completely candid. You know, a lot of people say during an interview process uh, and you and I did a handful of the interviews together. (laughs) um, Wow. I heard such things about you. I thought I knew what I was getting into uh, in this interview. And this was a really tough interview. And. I almost felt like you were trying to scare me a little bit or you were trying to, you know, put everything out there that were going to be some of the biggest hurdles that I had to, had to tackle. So for, so for me, um, a hundred percent candid about what we were trying to get done, being super clear, as I mentioned early on about the vision of what this was going to be saying the words around the trust components and, um, you can tell me anything and I'd rather hear the bad news early so we can tackle it versus, you know, sweeping it under the rug. And then you've got a giant mess under a rug that you got to deal with someday. That's going to cost a lot more than, than fixing it as it went. Um, and then exhibiting that in both the team environment and individually. So the same person as a one-on-one conversation they were seeing on the larger calls And as I was having successes and early, because when you manage, you know, a medium, large, small teams, there's always somebody that's needier at the beginning that you spend a lot more time with and somebody that thinks they have it and then comes to you with a whole bunch of stuff later. 
And, and what I always try to do as a leader is to use each and every one of those examples because you build the trust and you build the candor and you shouldn't be afraid to say anything because it's either going to make the team better or it's going to give the team a giant watch out so that seven people don't make the same mistake that one person made. Um, and, and just by doing that and doing it consistently and, and being true to what I said I am, uh, who I am, uh, which ne- I never waver from, and how I manage a team, um, we've built a lot of great trust early on this team and we're still in the very early stages of what that's going to become and how that's going to evolve. But that's, that's how I approach it. Yeah. You know, it's so special to be able to build a team from scratch, not only because you can, as a leader, lean in on diversity of thought, diversity of experience and, and complement, right? Like pieces of a puzzle complement, um, the individuals on your team to, to make the, the whole puzzle, the whole piece. Um, but doing it all at once also drives this mentality of we're in it together, right? And, and we're going to figure it out together and we're going to win together and we're going to learn together. And um, that in itself, I'm so exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I wonder one other piece, John, you, you obviously are coming off of your previous role, right? You, you ran New York um, on-premise for us, which is no small job. And I'm, I'm curious in building that team, you know, what did, what did you learn or what are you leveraging from kind of building that team as you move into kind of building this next team? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, when I got, I'll just do a little bit of a history lesson and I'll try to be as brief as, as my mind always allows. Uh, when I stepped into the New York role, it was, it was one of my, well, with beam, it was my first commercial opportunity, um, going on five and a half years or so ago now. Um, and New York wasn't in the best shape or where we wanted to see New York. It was uh, very off premise focused. You know, I managed both channels. Um, but it was a very off premise transactional binary relationship. And one of the one of the things that excited me, one, it was my hometown and I had been away for a while. I lived in Chicago for six years. I lived in Detroit for six years, all with Beam, uh, doing a bunch of different roles. Um, what got me most excited was, you know, on premise, I was basically building from scratch with some pretty good components. The heart and passion of the team that was there in the on premise, even though there was only three of them, um, was great. But then again, there was only six people on the total team. So it was a small team for the scale of what New York was. Um, and it wasn't focused in the right area to build our brands, just to sell our brands, right? It was, it was truly a transactional relationship. And it was, if you do this, you will get this. And there was no nuances and nobody came to Beam Centauri and said, in New York and said, now that's an on-premise team that I want to emulate. They're killing it. It was always last ish minute rushes somebody's coming into town let's go see which five accounts we can take them to so over the course of a handful of years you know i I built a belief in what we were doing and then you know the organization was growing and and starting to look after the on-premise and winning in new york as as one of the global city fortresses was incredibly important and i something that i would had no shame taking advantage of and, and, and leveraging at the time as I mentioned before, when all was said and done, there were 20 or 21 people on the team and 15 of them were in the on-premise. That showed the wholesale change of what we were trying to do. But getting back to no more history lesson, more about the answer to your question, we weren't looking and listening to our customers and consumers. 
right? That that's a fatal mistake for any CPG company, whether you're in beverage, alcohol, or anything else, is we stopped looking at the consumer first and then the customer that serviced that, and then the wholesaler that serviced the customer, and then how we fit into this. Um, we just said, I've got a number, here's how I can push it down. Here are the levers that I have to do it. Do this, do this, do this, get this, get this, get this. And the one thing that I used while building this new team, and it's a philosophy that I have with, with the entire team now is it starts with who's consuming our beverage and how they're consuming it. Then how are those folks that are selling it to our consumers? interacting with them how are our brands showing up in those instances how do we want to be seen you know putting a a, a, an economy anything in a well that a consumer will never see and a customer is only doing based on price is a very great transactional thing that helps trucks move and plants stay awake and you know (laughs) union people hired across the country making all the products but they're not building a brand um so by rewiring in a way how we were looking at our business in in such a critical market like New York and having great leadership at the time that allowed me to tear it down and rebuild it back up, which again, you don't get many opportunities in a career to say, what's your vision of this? Okay. Tear down the house right down to its foundation and now build it back up. And we're going to give you the, the, the leeway and, and the autonomy to go and make that happen. Um, it's exactly that the lessons I learned doing that are exactly how I approached building this new team and setting our mission, our vision, our values of, I want to know what I'm going to look like in 2030. How do I get there? And what are the steps I need to get there in, in healthy chunks along the way? Uh, cause if I just think about hitting the ground running with regional accounts and hotels and drink solutions and everything else and get all of the marbles today, I don't know where the marbles are coming from, but I certainly know I don't build a good trap to capture all of those marbles i just kept you know i'll need more money i'll need more resources i'll need more people and that that'd be the only binary transaction to get this done instead of doing the way that we're doing now yeah for sure it's like taking um it's, it's how we care about our brands right and treating our brands as living breathing things um, taking care of them, having a relationship with our own brands, which is what allows us to expand that relationship again to the consumer, to our customers, to our team and having enough people who care about it. Um, you know, that then drives the business. Yeah. It it is really an amazing thing because if you don't think about it, and this is true, and I've been in a handful of CPG businesses over the years or around them as clients, the ones that get it right, that start with the person consuming it and why do they consume it and then work backwards, they're able to have better marketing, right? Better sales forces, better leaders that are, that are thinking, which is the topic we're talking about, to, to build upon the, the philosophies and the vision and get that buy-in that you need. But, but so often, especially in this business, and I have a question for you because we've both been in this business for quite a bit. Um, especially in this business where there are so many suppliers and it's such a constantly dynamic environment where the tastes of the consumers are changing and some suppliers pivot with those changes and some suppliers say, no, this is my brand. This is the way my brand is supposed to look and feel and act in front of a consumer. So this is what I'm going to present myself as. Whereas Beam Suntory's always felt like 
we don't have any clear number ones, right? We don't have all of the belts. If we were boxers, you know, it's very, very scattered. <laughs> you we have know. lots of good little fighters. <laughs> Tons of little fighters and challenger brands and some that are in strong number twos. And, you know, what in the bourbon category, maybe a clear number one. So my question to you is, you know, we've both 13 years, 16 years been in this company for a long time and we've watched a lot of evolution. Uh, we've watched a lot of, you know, when I joined the company, it was Jim Beam to Kuiper and then a transactional relationship with uh, Absolute. Yeah, right? Me too. Um, so that, that was a crazy time. But during your tenure at Beam, um, tell the audience a little bit about the evolution of leadership here, what we walked into, both you and I almost around the same, you know, circa the same time to where we are today and, and what are some of the differences and how they influenced you? Yeah, for sure. Yes, we have been through a lot of change over the years um, and a lot of culture change, too. So I'm glad I'm glad we're talking a little bit about this. Um, you know, I think uh, when I first started with the company, um, leadership was very directive and it was something you prepared for as a, as, as somebody, you know, lower on that totem pole. And I think as, you know, over the last few years, and, and now we have this concept called Gemba and what Gemba means is really going to the place that creates value. And I really feel in the last five or so years that we have truly started to embrace that, um, throughout all levels of our organization. So there, there is an expectation now that as a leader, that you're in market, that you're talking to those who are on the street, that you're going into an on-premise account and you're having conversations with the bartender and the, and the bar owner. And there's a feedback loop with that, um, which is so vitally important because it's those insights that are really going to drive our programming, how we approach our brands, um, how we go to market. And so I think for me, it's, there's, there's no, there used to, we used to joke, there used to be this ivory tower, right. Of, of corporate. <laughs> and I definitely feel that, um, that we have, that, 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 that's broken down in terms of everybody is closer to the consumer now. And we live in a world that changes so rapidly that we have to be closer to our consumer and we have to be agile and willing to make adjustments, still say, still say consistent to who we authentically are and who our brands authentically are and their legacies and their families, but in how they show up as their authentic selves, given the environment that, that we're in, that we have that flex. Um, and so, yeah, I, there has been, I think a lot of evolution specifically in the last five years, but definitely over, you know, our more than 10 year here, um, and, and how, um, how leadership styles have, have changed and what the expectation of a leader is today. Yeah. Very, very true. It, it's, it couldn't be more night and day around a very directive set of, and again, a lot of that comes with the, the transitions of the organization, right? When you're a publicly traded company, which we were for a time being, then the expectations change and it's a little bit more directional and, and forceful because you have to, you're paying attention to a lot of, a lot of stakeholders and shareholders. And then, you know, almost, I guess, six years ago now, this coming together of Beam and Centauri, which was an amazing evolution 
uh, brought together the East philosophies and the West philosophies and how that leadership, you know, what, what seemingly was early on a dichotomy and a little bit of a friction because we don't look at the business the same ways or we didn't at the time. And watching that evolution, especially, and you already mentioned all of the things that we evolved from, is inspirational because it's not, you know, one of the questions that I, that I also had for you was about the diversity in leadership styles, right? And is that a, a positive or a negative? And, and before you answer that question, um, I think the, the, the leadership team that we have now and how we've developed leaders within the organization lends itself to having a healthy amount of diversity where it's not all one same, same, Mm -hmm. um, but also gives us room to create leaders as our employees, as our customers and as our consumers evolve, because that that's always a moving target. Yeah, for sure. I think one build I would have, um, and then I'll answer your question is that we now have a culture of having a learning agenda. And, and that's kind of where I was going with the Gemba piece where everybody from leadership and, and down is really set out to learn. And, and when leadership comes into market to do their Gemba, it's, it's not about inspecting and seeing what's out there and, and holding accountability to programming and so forth. It's, it's really more about what can I learn? How are things going? What's the next trend that I want to make sure that I get ahead of? So I think there's, there's this piece of, of being a consistent and a constant learner um, in leadership that is so important. And then from a, a diversity standpoint, I mean, you're right. We have um, definitely have diverse leadership styles on our team. I think just as much as having diversity of thought, I think style can be important too. Um, no two leaders are exactly the same, just like no two people are exactly the same and, and no two people on your team are exactly the same either. And so I think just having a, a respect for the different styles and what those styles bring to the table is, is incredibly important. I mean, I can even say in building out my own team, um, I, I looked for diversity in leadership style and, I, I want that not only as we build the entire team culture, but as um, as influences for myself as well, right? And in, in how we show up as a as a team. And I know on my my kind of journey through through leadership, I would say that you know my style has has flexed too, um, and still staying true authentically to who I am. But I would say you know in the last year. I've definitely leaned in heavier on probably more feminine leadership qualities, more empathetic qualities, right? And in, in how we got through COVID um, in truly focusing on individuals and the people on the team and, um, and, and creating even more trust in relationships across the organization and, and externally. So um, I, I think that even as an individual, you know, you, you do flex your style depending on what the team needs, what the, where the company stands, what our brands need. Um, and it's important that you, you do that again, while staying authentic to, to who you are as a leader. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think that speaks to, and you answered the question perfectly. Um, without diversity in leadership styles, without collaboration, 
right? Well, another great thing in the past five or six years as Beam Centauri, um, there's no department that doesn't work with another department, right? There's, there's, you get the broadest possible perspective of all of the components that help enable you to do your job or could be a derailleur to do your job. But without a diversity and seeing all those different leadership styles, it doesn't allow an easier pivot. It doesn't allow you to learn. I mean, we've all had, and our teams are probably saying the same thing about us, you know, love 60% of what John has given me. <laughs> There's 40% of what John does that I'm going to lose the day that I don't work with John anymore. <laughs> and that's something that I've always been as, as an observation, as a constant learner, right? Which I've always been trying to educate myself um, on everything, every topic, everything I touch, um, big and small business and personal. Um, that was something that was beautiful. And, and early on in my career, to be candid, there wasn't enough diversity of leadership styles. So I had a bunch of leaders that I looked up to and I, and I thought were great leaders, but they were all the, the same. So the same five things that I was going to keep from all of the leaders were exactly the same across the five or six people that I interacted with. And the five things I was going to lose were the same five things. And it didn't work the right muscle groups or it didn't shock the muscles in a way that it can if you're you're changing up your routine and you're doing things different and building some some variety in, in what you're doing regardless of what it is um that's something i think we have now where where you you learn so much quicker you get better quicker you're able to pivot quicker and get quicker feedback and i think for our teams that is something that's going to help them out as well because the exposure and the collaboration to more than just a siloed leader um, is something that's going to help their growth uh, way faster than having a bunch of leaders that say the same thing and sing from the same songbook. Yeah. If you think about what leadership as somebody who is uh, how you motivate and how you inspire, because if you motivate and you inspire, then the business deliverables will get done, right? So if that's the focus and you, and you reflect back on your career, you can get some siloed views, right. Of, of how I was inspired, you know, how, what motivates you personally, and you know, who in your career you saw as a leader that motivated you. And there could be a tendency to want to emulate that. And I think a lot of what you're, you're saying and recognizing today, which is so important, which is you, you can carve your own path. There isn't a, a blueprint for a leader that is perfect. And a leader is also contextual. So it's not about hierarchy. It's truly about who you are and how you affect those around you. And I think it's such a great point that that can be a lot of different things and it should be a lot of different things because again, we're all different. What motivates me is probably different than what motivates you, John. And we require that from some of the same leaders. Yeah. And that's, um, as we wind down the conversation to me again, I, I use the word exciting a lot because I'm a very excitable human, as you know. <laughs> um, but, but I, I take great excitement in where we are, um, as a culture right now, not just at Beam Suntory, but a little bit broader than that, not to get overly philosophical or broaden this conversation way past where it needs to go, but the, the, the talent that's coming in and the expectations uh, of the generations that are in the workforce right now and are joining our teams 
it, it feels like it's long overdue. The feedback and the candor and the, I, I want to do this. Let me make a mistake. Let me go out there and try my own stuff. Uh, versus what, you know, traditionally used to be a little bit more tentativeness, even in a looser business, like, like beverage alcohol. Um, what I'm seeing and what I'm getting from the teams, cause I've always said, um, if I'm not learning as not only am I not the smartest person in the room and that is true holistically in my life. Um, but if I'm not learning as much or more from my team as I think they're learning or they're telling me they're learning from me, then I've done something wrong. I have failed in my leadership opportunity that I had. If everybody is just in agreement and everybody just takes my word from up on high and I'm not getting anything out of the relationship because there's something that is so beautiful about everybody in a team uh, learning from each other and growing and making each other better in small and large ways. Some you notice right away and you're able to take with you and you tell that story as you, as you move on in your career and some things just stick with you, but you never really can pinpoint where you got that one from and who you got it from. Um, to me, that's, that's the, the, it's exciting, but it's also our largest opportunity, um, as leaders is to make sure that we're building the next generation of leaders not to emulate us, as you said, right. because we don't want a bunch of robots out there. And that if, no, none of us are perfect. I don't know if there's a perfect leader. Um, but giving that opportunity to put the most people in the best positions to become leaders themselves and watching them flourish as they find their own style, their own voice. They take the good from you, just like you and I have taken the good from from people before us. Absolutely. I, I don't know what else there is to say about that, John. I think that's a mic drop right there. I think that's a mic drop. <laughs> I think I, I definitely want to toast you. Yes, please. Um, I would say, and I'm, I'm not a big toaster, um, but, but to the future, you know, the, the future is bright. Um, Beam Centauri, this industry, beverage, alcohol, the on-premise. And I'll just toast to you for our future because I know we're going to build uh, something even more incredible together. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. And I, I want to add one thing for, um, for all the future leaders here at Beam Centauri. Um, we, we look forward to, to you and, and to everybody who you will inspire in your current role and, and as you elevate uh, throughout Beam Centauri. So cheers to all the future leaders of Beam Centauri on-premise. Cheers. Now that's a mic drop. Top Shelf Integrity is brought to you by Beam Centauri, Inc., Chicago, Illinois. Remember to always drink responsibly.